back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It's time for Keeping Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasts. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the third day of October. Yeah, we're officially in that time of the year where we've entered the fall season. And quite frankly, speaking for me personally, I kind of prefer this time of the year rather than the hot blaze of the summer anyway, unlike most of you, considering I'm kind of a pale white guy, but I digress there. And, you know, I guess while we're on the weather, want to send out thoughts, prayers, and hope for all of those down in Florida that are affected by Hurricane Ian or Ian or however we're pronouncing uh, this uh, hurricane. You know, feels I feel for y'all. Sucks what. Uh, they're going through especially down in the western portion of that state and no i know that they're going to rise up and be stronger and better than uh, was they were before once uh, they began the rebuilding process and you know my thoughts and prayers go out to anyone that lost a loved one in this uh horrific uh, storm uh, in the last week there. But, you know, of course, got things to take our mind off of that. Of course, a lot of NFL to talk about today. And, you know, it's a, a happy day in this area for the football fans of the tri-state area. Not so much of a happy day, though, for the baseball fans and you know not so much for the Yankees because you know they've clinched their division uh Aaron Judge still hasn't hit home run number 62 hopefully he'll do so over the next couple days but that's a side story to talk about another time of course I got to start today with the New York Mets the New York Mets who I'm not sure how to entitle this, whether you want to call it a collapse, a disaster, a slow but painful crumbling down. I'm sure most Mets fans out there would describe it as some version of a combination of all three of those descriptions I listed. But if you're a Mets fan today, you're not in the please mood. You're you're kind of in the mood that a football fan feels on Monday after their team loss on Sunday. But it's only it's a, a mindset and it's a feel that you saw coming. And you can't help 
to see it coming, considering it's been mostly in the Mets history, having late season crumble downs and having somebody else catch you for a division or a playoff spot. But the worst part about it is you've seen this coming for about four months now. We rewind to June 1st. The Mets had a 10 and a half game lead over the Atlanta Braves, had a double digit lead over everybody in the National League East. Hell, at that time, we thought that New York City might have the best two teams in baseball. We've seen what that's resulted in since. The Yankees had a miserable summer where they at times looked like they were going to lose control of the AL East and were bypassed by the Astros for the best record in the American League. But for the Mets, it was an even slower, more painful demise here. And I shouldn't say demise because they're still going to the playoffs, but now they're in a disadvantageous place. Now they're in a place you did not want to be. You wanted to maintain hold on this division. Problem is the Atlanta Braves ran you down and bypassed you along the way. The Atlanta Braves, who for the first two months of this season looked like they were on a World Series hangover and might maybe not might not start get going since they got Ronald Acuna back from injury, have been an unstoppable force in the National League East. The only hiccup along the way they had was losing four out of five in that series they had at City Field against the Mets in the middle of the summer. Other than that, they have been a runaway freight train that has had Met fans terrified and agonizing, realizing that this was going to be a close competitive race for the National League East going down the stretch. And that this past weekend, it was made abundantly clear to them who the better team is in the National League East when the Braves swept them right out of Atlanta, Georgia. And You knew this series was coming up. You knew that you had this on the horizon. That's like day by day, you're looking at the standings. You're seeing it go from half game to falling behind the Braves by a game at one point three weeks ago to taking the lead back after a day to going as high as two and a half games up about two weeks ago. But... What came back to bite this team in the ass is the fact that, A, the general manager, Billy Epler, did nothing consequential at the trade deadline. He traded for a lot of spare parts. You know, Vogelback became a cult hero by Met fans just because of his humongous size, because uh, of the fact that he looked like a construction worker out there swinging a baseball bat. But he didn't give you much, even though for some reason he was batting either cleanup or fifth every single night. You didn't get a lot of producti- productivity out of either Darren Ruff 
or uh, Tyler Naquin, guys that were brought here to be bats off the bench and occasionally spell your corner outfielders. You, hell, you weren't getting a lot of production from anyone off the bench with the exception of Luis Guillorme, who I think uh, Buck overplayed his hand with that, even at times of coming back to bite the, the Mets defensively over recent weeks because when you play Guillorme, that forces you to play Jeff McNeil out of position and having him play the corner outfield, a spot that, quite frankly, he, doesn't, he has never looked comfortable at. So you didn't get the big bat that you needed, and it comes to bite you, especially at a time where four weeks ago you lose maybe your most consistent bat in your lineup. Yeah, Alonzo's had a great year. Lindor started to live up to the contract. But the calming presence in that Mets lineup was Starling Marte. He was the guy that kind of set this entire lineup up, batting two in the number two spot as that protection for Brandon Nimmo. And since he got hurt with a thumb injury, Nimmo's not done much. It's forced seemingly every night Buck is shifting around the lineup, even going with ideas like batting Alonzo second when he'd been batting cleanup all year long. And kind of made a mess of things, forcing... Like I said, Guillaume in the lineup more than you probably would want him to, causing McNeil to play some corner outfield spot. Seeing the likes of Darren Ruff and Tyler Naquin in the lineup being essentially automatic outs. You add on to that the fact that in the biggest series of your season, you had your top guys in. In your rotation, your big three lined up, ready to go. You knew for two weeks that if it came down to this, we got DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett ready for this series. And they laid an egg. They could not come through in the biggest of moments. All for a variety of reasons, whether it be with DeGrom No, for the last month, he has not looked like DeGrom. Still giving you quality starts, but not the dominating force that you have come to know, come to expect for the last uh, five, six years here. And whether that be, you know, him finally catching up to being in the midst of a season and not having that initial burst of energy that any athlete probably gets from coming back after missing so much time or him thinking too much about his contract coming up this off season or just being too arrogant because he got back into the same habit that got him hurt last year where it was just 100 mile an hour fastball and a slider that seemingly was not breaking enough and you saw it kick him right in the ass in several starts recently being closed out with this start against the Braves on Friday night where on paper it looks like quality but He gave up three home runs that each time was a kick to the gut. Then uh, Scherzer, he doesn't come up uh, big on a spot where 
you needed him to most. And whether it was having too much rest because the Mets did have two off days last week, allowed uh, them to shuffle the rotation the way they wanted it to be. Or still feeling some of the effects of the oblique problems that he had a couple of weeks ago. Because you got to think that at his age, the fact that he had strained his oblique once this season already, he was still dealing with some kind of residual effect from it. And you know, for it to flare up again here in the, the season's final months... It had to have some kind of hindrance on him. And then, you know, Bassett just last night was never able to get out of that fourth inning. Now he gets the lead uh, there after uh, a, a big home run by uh, McNeil, but is never able to put the Braves away. And you could start to feel it crumbling apart when he hit Riley with the pitch. Olsen, who had been a killer for uh, the Mets this entire series, him and Swanson, hit home runs in every game of the series, gets the bases loaded walk, and that brings up your old buddy Travis Darnot, who I don't know what it is about these former Mets, but they always seem to come through in the biggest spots. Daniel Murphy did it with the Nationals, and now... Travis Darnot does it with the Atlanta Braves. And it, it leaves you, as a Met fan, feeling the same way that you have many times over the years. Defeated, pissed off, you know, that sinking feeling in your gut like, why does this always happen to us? Well, hey, you know, all the problems that this team has has dealt with the last couple months flared up this weekend. And for one reason or or another, combined with the fact that, hey, the Atlanta Braves are just a really good team. I mean, Dansby Swanson has a pot of gold waiting for him at the end of the rainbow called this season. He's going to cash in big time. And he's doing it in big games against their heated rival. Olsen now looks like the Braves are getting him at a discount for only $21 million a year. And, you know, left and right, they're bringing up these kids that, you know, they they bring up these kids uh, like Grissom from the minor leagues and right from double A, and they're looking like ready-to-go, proven big leaguers. That's why, you know, I felt so bad for Alvarez and Vientos over uh, the weekend because they're two top heralded prospects in the Mets system, and you bring them up in the last week of the season at a crucial time. They should have been brought up months ago if you were going to bring them up. You're seeing the Braves bring up kids from uh, the minor leagues. You're seeing the them bring kids up straight from double-A, not caring about uh, having them make a quick stop at triple-A Gwinnett. And you knew that 
both Alvarez and Vientos were slow starters at each uh, level. Why are you going to bring them up in the last week? They should have been brought up in the middle of August or right after the trade deadline, not when it's the most crucial time of the year. I mean, Alvarez especially looked overmatched this weekend. You saw him lose the bat twice on Friday night alone. And, and whether that's Billy Upler's decision-making or it was Buck Sowalter's call, who I thought he did not distinguish himself very well at all this weekend. The, you know, the, the, the Buck Sowalters is a great manager crowd, had to sink back under that rock that uh, they always seem to squirm out of. Because as I've told you guys before, that's one of the last guys you want as your manager in a big game. He has proven time and time again he cannot handle the big spot. But, I mean... Now, like I said, these kids should have been brought up sooner. Epler should have been done more at the deadline than bringing these spare parts off the bench and in the bullpen in Givens. And whether you believe in it or not, there was a little bit of, uh, I guess, baseball karma that finally came to roost over uh, the weekend as well because... You know, since the Timmy Trumpets game, you know, the, the guy that plays the entrance theme for uh, Met closer Edwin Diaz, the Mets are 15 and 13, while the Braves are 20 and 8. They've run all the way back and bypassed the Mets in that time. And even sooner than that, September th- 17th, two days after out. Al- Ozzie Albies comes back after missing three months due to a hand injury. He re-injures that same hand on a slide into second base against the Phillies. And Mets announcer Gary Cohen sarcastically makes a comment about it on the broadcast saying, Oh, nice knowing you, Albie. Ozzie, excuse me. Since then, the Mets are 7-6. and six. Well, the Braves are 11 and 4. And listen, it's, it's very easy for me to come on here and, and pile on top of the Mets right now. You know, seem like the big, bad, mean old Yankee fan. But I'm just stating the facts here, people. I'm stating what every Met fan is probably thinking to themselves. I, all this weekend, even though. The, the Mets ha- had one more hit than the Braves with runners in scoring position. The Braves' hits with runners in scoring position all seemed like big moments, all seemed like big spots. The Mets, you know, they had the bases loaded with one down against Jansen, looking ready to blow it on Friday night, and couldn't come in with the, the big hit. You had a Braves bullpen that, you know, quite frankly, you look at on paper and you, you think that they they're not, you know, they're not Mariano, they're not Craig Kimbrell in his prime, or Roldis Chapman in his prime, Goose Gossage, uh, Raleigh Fingers, Dennis Eckersley, any of the all-time great relievers, but they're all right. You know, Kel- Kenley Jansen has had 
300 saves in his career, but has been rather shaky in recent seasons. But the Mets made all of those guys look like all-stars, made them look like uh, they were uh, absolute dominators. So, and now the, the fact that they left a small village on base, you're not getting anything out of uh, Francisco Lindor all the way around. This was a disaster of a weekend for the Mets because you, you had to win this division. It gives, would have given you some time off, which uh, before the divisional series, which clearly DeGrom and Scherzer could have used also Lindor and Alonzo who didn't distinguish himself well uh, this weekend. Giving you time off to reset your rotation, uh, get the guys uh, a couple days of rest. Instead, you're right back to it on Friday. You're right back. Because, listen, I know mathematically they're still alive for the division, but they would need to sweep the Nationals and for the Marlins to sweep the Braves. And both of those things are not going to happen on two fronts here. One, the Mets are not pitching Jacob DeGrom on Wednesday, even if the division is online. You need him available in case you're playing the wild card uh, series this coming weekend, in all likelihood against the San Diego Padres. And two, the, the Marlins aren't pitching Sandy Alcantara against the Braves uh, on Wednesday. They're shutting him down for the season. So you know both of those things are not going to happen. But you would have given yourself time off. You get past the the, the wild card series against uh, the, the Padres. Now you got to face the Dodgers in the second round. And now to, as a team that, could possibly still win 100 games here. You've got to go through, rather than three rounds of playoffs, four. That means, in all likelihood, you're looking at at least five to maybe even six more starts for both DeGrom and Scherzer. And who knows how much gas Scherzer has left in the tank with some of the injuries he's had. And who knows what Jacob DeGrom is going through Physically, as great as those two guys are, even their bodies have some kind of limit at some point. So, all the way around, as I said, a disastrous weekend for the Mets, their front office, their manager, their players, their fan base. Any way you want to look at it, this was the ultimate kick in the gut. For a team that, yeah, they're still going to the playoffs, but their road to possibly winning their first championship in 36 years just became extremely more difficult. All right, got a lot left to get to uh, throughout the rest of the podcast here. A lot of football to talk about. Questionable decisions around the league, one that could have long-term lasting effects on a a human's life. Questionable coaching decisions as well. And hey, a happy day for yours truly. So plenty to get to. Glad you guys could join me this week. At this time, as I do tell you every week, please sit back, relax. Help put your feet up if you feel like it 
and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. I'll be honest, there was a part of me that actually considered ripping off the Timmy Trumpet song that is used as Edwin Diaz's bullpen entrance theme at City Field for the music I come back from the breaks on this podcast today. But I thought to myself, you know what, that's too mean to do. That The Met fans are dealing already with a lot of angst, a lot of pain today. Don't don't be that obnoxious jackass Yankee fan that I've seen some of my Yankee fan brethren doing on social media. Because quite frankly, we should be bigger than that. We should be better than that than to have to stoop to their level. But as much even though I say all the time I don't hate the Mets, it is kind of enjoyable to see how much they've been complaining over the last 72 hours because I think after Friday night's loss, they kind of saw this weekend coming. Now, speaking of uh, seeing something coming, I don't know how anyone couldn't have seen what happened on Thursday coming or been surprised with what happened on Thursday night. Now, the... The headlines will read, oh, Bengals beat the Dolphins. Yeah, so what? All right. The Bengals, we knew we're going to get things going at some point. We're going to wake up. They're they're too talented to just be mediocre. And the division is right there uh, for the taking with the fact that the Ravens have been an every other week team seemingly this year and no one really trusts or believes in the Cleveland Browns, even if they get Deshaun Watson back later this season. The story of this game is what happened in the second quarter to Tua Tangaval. And quite frankly, we should not be sitting here talking about this today. But based on the stupidity of whether you want to call it the Miami Dolphins the independent uh, uh, specialist that treats head and neck injuries on the field, the NFL altogether, everyone deserves some kind of blame for what happened to Tua on Thursday night football. Because for this kid to be carted off the field from after the hit that he took from Josh Tupa. And nothing wrong with the hit. It was a cl- clean, totally legal hit. But we all saw it. The kid was on the ground for 10 minutes. You saw his hand. One hand was gripped like a changeup. The second hand, the other hand was gripped like his pointer finger was broken and bended in toward his wrist. And he was spazzing out there on the ground and you were fearful for not just his health at that point, whether he was going to be able to walk, but also his life going forward. 
how he was allowed to play in this game, I will never, never understand. And I know there's a lot of people out there that there's not, I shouldn't say a lot. It's a small portion. They, they, there's always a contrarian to everything in life. But those, those contrarians out there that say, oh, but the independent uh, specialist said he didn't have a concussion. He passed all the tests. Well, clearly he effed up in some way when the fact that the NFL Players Association launched their own investigation immediately during uh, the, the week after uh, that game against the Bills and came down even stronger on things after the game on Thursday when early Saturday they fired this independent specialist. They used their uh, option to kick this guy out of his position. Whether it be he screwed up in the process or whether the Dolphins pulled some kind of hanky-panky business here. I don't know whether we're going to find out this guy has some kind of association, some kind of loose tie to Stephen Ross or somebody in the Dolphins front office. But people, something does not smell right here. Something does not feel right here that this kid was allowed to play. Whether it be um, Mike McDaniels and them having the gall to say, oh, it was a back injury that he was dealing with. Well, clearly you lied to us on that. Either you lied to us or you're, you th- and think that we're the dumbest people in the world or you're the dumbest human being on the planet because how anyone, anyone could watch how he was against uh, the Buffalo Bills and say that that was a back injury that he was walking off the field with. I mean, he looked like he was walking out of a bar drunk with how he was wobbling around, how he had to be helped to the sidelines by his uh, offensive lineman. And I've never seen someone who's dealing with a back injury walk straight up to the locker room, not with some kind of a hunch or someone with some kind of heating pad or ice bat along their back. He clearly got a concussion a a week ago. And as you guys know, you got one concussion, you can get another one very quickly. If you do not treat this, you do not take the proper measurements, the proper rest before getting back to whatever athletic endeavor that you participate in. And listing this as a back injury allowed him to come back four days later on Thursday night football. And he was dung up once four days earlier. Hey, it was only a matter of time till he got uh, his bell rung again and got another concussion so bad that he was carted off the field and taken to the hospital. And how the hell was he not kept at that hospital overnight? How did they let him leave to go fly back with the team that night, albeit wearing a neck brace, and just tell him, oh, go get MRIs done tomorrow? Are we sure that he got tested uh, on Friday? Are we sure that he took this seriously? Are we sure the Dolphins took this seriously? Because it feels like since he got drafted, the Dolphins have taken nothing when it comes to Tua Tagovailoa seriously. Whether it be his his physical health, his mental health with how 
often they've been jerking him in and out of the lineup when they still had Ryan Fitzpatrick there. I mean, all the way around, this was an absolute mess. And the Dolphins coaching staff, front office, their medical staff, and the NFL together should be ashamed of themselves for how they, they let this go down. And sometimes you have to protect a kid from himself. And that's what he is. He's still in his mid-20s. You know, when guys are that young, athletes are that young, they don't know any better. They think they're Superman. They think they're invincible. And to allow Tua to continue, not just come back in that game against Buffalo, but to play on Thursday night was completely irresponsible. I hope, I pray, not because he's playing the Jets coming up on Sunday, but that the NFL grows a brain, grows a set in the the next 72 hours and says, no matter what, Tua Tagovailoa is not playing on Sunday afternoon. He needs rest. He needs to fully recuperate. He should not be thinking about football until sometime around Halloween time at the earliest because we do not we do not need to be sitting here in say two weeks time and learning that this kid has paralysis and is going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. I mean, NFL, we know you only react to things when it affects your pockets. Be proactive rather than reactive in this situation and save this kid from himself and the stupidity of this organization. As I had said a few moments ago, the Bengals did win this game. And you know that they've got after an 0-2 start, they've gotten themselves right back into the race in the AFC North. Thanks to the slow start by the Steelers. The Browns, you know, seemingly not being a consistent football team that can put together 60 good minutes of football uh, shown by their continued miscues and propensity for penalties yesterday against uh, the Falcons. And then the Ravens lost against uh, Buffalo yesterday, where Buffalo has been struggling offensively dating back to midway through the first quarter against the Dolphins. And you had them on the ropes. You have a 20-3 lead in the first half, and you still choked that away. Uh, second team in history to blow multiple leads of 17 points in the first four games of their season. You know, your defense got off to a pretty strong start in uh, this game, had... Uh, Josh Allen and company in check, getting an early interception on the, the first drive of the game. But in the second half, Buffalo's defense locked down on uh, the Ravens. They, you know, they've been really locked down in the second half of these games this year, only giving up a combined seven points in the, the second half. But a, a lot of what people are talking about today is you know the the whether it's a breakdown of communication or it's just lack of awareness of the situation but the final minutes of that game by John Harbaugh and the, the Ravens is confounding there you have a fourth and 3 
in uh, Bills territory. You had not scored at all in the, the second half. And just because, oh, the analytics told you it was a good idea, you decided to go for it on that drive. When the Bills defense had been firing in that second half, they've got Lamar running the opposite direction. He's throwing off his back leg. And usually when quarterbacks, no matter how great they are, no matter how talented they are, when any of them, you see them throwing off their back leg, you usually know what the outcome is going to be from there. And he got picked off by uh, Jordan Poyer in the, the end zone that pretty much set this game up for the Bills to win. They slowly but methodically uh, went down the field and knew they could take their time with this. The Ravens had no timeouts left. Uh, they could bleed away the clock. And whether it was a, a lack of awareness by um, away or uh, just you know John Harbaugh not getting the message across to the guys, the Bills were set up with a first and goal in less than two minutes to go. Ravens weren't able to stop the clock there, setting uh, the Bills up for a game-winning field goal as the time expired. And that led to the end-of-game altercation between John Harbaugh and uh, Marcus Peters. And I got to give it to Marcus Peters because I, I get it. I understand what he's feeling there, saying, hey, we've played well for most of this game. You've got to give us a shot there. That John Harbaugh calling th that play on fourth and three in Bill's territory is not you know, going with analytics. That's him having no confidence in his defense to make a stop there. Take the three points and force the Bills to drive down the field one more time. And it... it it wasn't like, as I said, the last two weeks, they have not been world beaters offensively. They've been in these games, but their offense has seemingly stalled the, the last couple of weeks in the red zone. So, you know, it was, it was a bad loss for the Ravens. It was as weird and crazy decision on both ends that you're going to see by a team in the, the final five minutes. And... Now it has uh, the Bills set up here to get off to a great start with their season as they're going up against the Steelers on uh, Sunday while the Ravens going to have to lick their wounds here and try to bounce back against the suddenly resurgent Bengals on Sunday night football. And last night on Sunday night football, now we once again uh, got the matchup of Brady versus Mahomes, but... Unfortunately, only one quarterback truly, truly shined. And listen, I know Tom threw for almost 400 yards, but 250 of that were when the game was pretty much out of reach, when he had no choice but to chuck the ball down the field consistently to try and get the Buccaneers back into this game. And now, it, the game started off poorly for uh, the uh, Bucks, when they gave an early gift 
to the Kansas City Chiefs with Rashad White fumbling the opening kickoff in Bucks territory. And, you know, you give Mahomes and company that kind of field position, they're going to kill you almost every single time. And, you know, the They've heard all the chatter. They've heard all of the whispers, people mocking them in the last week after their lackadaisical performance against the Colts last week. As talented as they are, they've also got a lot of pride. They've also got a lot of moxie to them. They came into this game pissed off and wanting to show everyone that, hey, Last week was a fluke and that we're still as good as we've ever been. And they did that. Scoring touchdowns on four of their first five drives of the game, including on the first three drives. And that took the um, Buccaneers ground game out of the mix because when you're down 21-3 to that early, you're not thinking about running the football. You've got to just try to pick up yardage as quick as possible, get back in this game as soon as possible. But they were playing catch-up all night long. We're never able to get this back within being a uh, one-score game. And between that and the fact that you had just some crazy touchdowns by uh, the um, Chiefs, almost to the point where you felt like this was the Harlem Globetrotters out there playing uh, the the uh, Washington Bullets or whatever rec teams that they were playing back in the day. You now Mahomes was seemingly able to do whatever he wanted, including you know the, he had that short little touch pass where he threw it over two defenders' head to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the the end zone that put them up by three scores early. And then you know they get that the recovery on the fumble by Brady right before halftime, and they pulled the little trickeration where uh, Mahomes is back in shotgun calling uh, signals, and he's not even looking at anyone. It dekes the Buccaneers out so much that Noah Gray is able to sneak in there and get the. the uh, Oh, always rare, but always loved big boy touchdown uh, the, there on the what is essentially a QB sneak there. And from there, the, the Chiefs were on to the, uh, the races. And the final score of this game deceives you from what this really was. And it kind of brings to light, once again, what has been the problem for the Bucks so far this season. Their offense seemingly can not get going early in these games. They have found a way late, like they did against both Dallas and uh, New Orleans, and came within a two-point conversion of forcing overtime with the Packers uh, last week. But when you're going up against a team that in Kansas City has this kind of firepower. You know, not to the level that they've had in the past because you don't have Tyreek Hill there anymore. But this kind of firepower in the fact that Mahomes is completing passes to, you know, six, seven, even sometimes eight different receivers in a given week has so many more options than you, is more stout on the offensive line than you are, 
and has a mobile quarterback that can seemingly run out of um, most predicaments, uh, give himself enough time to, at the very least, throw the football away if it calls for it. It was a mismatch all night. And the, the Buccaneers, you know, quite frankly, should be kind of the lucky stars that they're in uh, the NFC South. Because in most other divisions, they'd be in a lot of trouble right now with the roster that they have currently constructed, especially with all of the problems they're dealing with on the offensive line. All right, going to take another break here, come back on the other side. Uh, look at what else happened in uh, week three, or week five, excuse me. I don't know why I have it listed as week three on my sheet here. Anyway, I'll try to fix that and make sure we're in the right week and day when we come back. <laughs> Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see, at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Yesterday was a reminder that, yes, in fact, Andy Dalton does still play in the NFL. I knew that... James Winston was not going to be playing yesterday, dealing with uh, the continued uh, issues with uh, the back problems he's had. But got to give Dalton some credit. I know we all rag on him uh, for his time in Cincinnati and how they were always that team that would get off to good starts and then either choke near the end of the season or just outright fall apart in the playoffs. But he gave the New Orleans Saints every opportunity uh, to win this game yesterday. It's just the Vikings were unstoppable when it came to scoring in the second half of that game. After uh, the hearty fumble early in the third quarter, they scored on every drive. Even though you know, most of them they had to settle for uh, field goals. Got to give Greg Joseph credit. Going for five for five, even in today's NFL, uh, when it comes to field goals, is not the easiest thing in the world, especially when you're in a close game as this was, as um, you're 
playing in a different atmosphere, playing on a field that you're not used to playing in, in London, a stadium that is not typically used for a football. But, you know, Kirk Cousins and uh, and uh, uh, Jefferson were able to put him in uh, position all day long. Now, that and you got to give uh, the Saints credit for their lack of discipline late in this game, especially on the uh, the drive that was ended by Justin Jefferson's uh, rushing touchdown, committing 51 yards of penalties on that drive alone. And, you know, Will Lutz was had come up clutch moments earlier with a 60-yard field goal, but turned out that that was his limit when he tried for 61 even later, doinked off the upright there. So, you know, the Saints, now I, I can't really get a gauge on the Saints because I, I love their pieces as far as offensive weapons are concerned with having Michael Thomas back, Alvin Kamara, still one of the more versatile backs in the sport, Chris Olave, uh, there's a lot to like with him. I just don't trust the quarterback position there. And, you know, it's not like, a 27-year-old Drew Brees is just going to come uh, walking through the door. They're, you know, they're dealing with uh, some issues uh, with uh, that position that, quite frankly, everybody in the league has to deal with. I mean, unless you're the Dallas Cowboys, who seemingly keep getting this lucky break where they're either taking guys that were undrafted free agents like Tony Romo or fourth rounders like Dak Prescott and now uh, Cooper Rush and somehow winning football games. Yeah, I know it was against the Commanders and they're a walking disaster waiting to happen, especially with Carson Wentz and how turnover prone he's been in recent weeks. And the fact that the Commanders have no discipline whatsoever committing another 11 penalties uh, yesterday. But Cooper Rush, he's not spectacular. He's not doing anything that's eye-popping or that's going to get him a 95 rating next year when Madden the video game comes out. He's just not making mistakes right now. He's allowing the ground game to uh, run the offense, be a somewhat participant and along for the ride, knowing that they have this phenomenal defense that, no, on all three levels, even though that they didn't make any major upgrades during the offseason, on all three levels, the Cowboys' defense has been showing up this year. And Micah Parsons, his dominance as a pass rusher has taken pressure off of everybody, allowed them to stay within their assignments, knowing that they got number 11 there, making these quarterbacks' lives a living hell every single week. And we'll see if they can keep that going next week against the Rams. You know, the Detroit Lions, they are about as fun a one in three football team as you can have uh, this year. Yeah, they got torched on the ground yesterday by Geno Smith and Rashad Penny. But they're seemingly always in these games at the end here. And like I said last week with how they blew a double-digit second-half lead to the Vikings, 
at some point they've got to learn how to finish a game. You can you can only be everybody's favorite fantasy football team for so long. And at some point the mistakes that they're making, whether it be the Khalif Raymond fumble in uh, the second quarter or the pick six by Jared Goff, it doesn't matter how many points you score. You're going to look at those and you're going to get angry. You're going to get pissed off and <laughs> and say to yourself that we're better than this. We've got to be able to overcome this if we want to become know a team that goes from being the cute little story of everyone in the league to a team that could possibly threaten for a playoff spot one team that people thought was going to uh threaten for a playoff spot is the colts but they seemingly can't handle prosperity as they got ran all over by derrick henry yesterday and were very mistake prone uh with uh matt ryan uh Turned the football over two more times uh, yesterday, both in costly spots. And you know, even when they were able to creep back into this game late, Jonathan Taylor uh, fumbles in uh, Tennessee territory. And even with as much time that was left on the clock there, you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, you know, the, the Colts, they uh, used up all their nine lives here. And quite frankly, I don't know if they're going to ever really get going this season. Even though Tennessee hasn't run away and hid with this division, you look at uh, Indy and you watch Matt Ryan uh, on a week-in, week-out basis, he looks like an old quarterback who at times can't read the coverages, can't read the what defense he's going up against, and is just trying to live off of, you know, past glory or past success. And unfortunately for him, you know, not having this great start in Indy and not ever being able to get over the hurdle, the story about him, rather than being a long track record of being a successful quarterback, it's always going to hang over him, whether he likes it or not. That 28-3 choke job his Falcons had in the Super Bowl. Much like the weather yesterday here across uh, the east coast of uh, the country, it wasn't pretty for the Eagles. It was downright ugly for them um, most of the first half. But they found a way to get things done in the end with their ground game and their defense. Their defense stepped up big time after giving up uh, 14 early points. And they they don't deserve all the blame for that. I mean, you have a pick six thrown by Hertz uh, to Cisco early in that game. But they uh, pinned their ears back and really got after Trevor Lawrence. And you know, even, even though Lawrence has played relatively well to start the season not gonna knock the kid get on him too much for career high five turnovers yesterday because that's the first time he's played in that kind of weather i'm sure if he'll never admit this but in a truthful honest moment he'd probably say that at least three of those four 
fumbles he had were based on the fact that it was like a monsoon in Philadelphia yesterday that the football got so slick that even even with gloves on, he was not able to maintain uh, his grip on the football. But hey, wasn't pretty, but a win's a win if you're the Eagles. First time since 04 that they've started off 4-0. You know, that they've had a dominant ground game so far this season. They've been excellent defensively. You haven't trailed in the second half of a game yet this year. And you know, have set themselves up to have a really great start to the season, have a really great season here. When you look at some of the teams that are struggling in the NFC, uh, the, the fact that there's, I know the Cowboys are three and one, but let's see how they are when uh, Dak Prescott gets uh, back. Isn't anyone you're really truly afraid of in the NFC East? They have, by far the deepest roster in uh, this uh, division. And now, you know, that next week they go up against a Cardinals team who, quite frankly, I can't figure out. They seem to be clutch near the end of games, uh, is Kyler Murray. And he's been able to elude some of the best pass rushes in the sport so far, but he's still making a lot of mistakes that you don't want to see out of a fourth-year quarterback here. And he was able to capitalize on the fact that they were playing the Panthers yesterday, and Baker Mayfield seems to be more mistake-prone than him these days. But still, it took you know, the, you know, Baker making uh, a bunch of uh, turnovers in the, the second half, and uh, Kyler to finally wake up for the Cardinals to up in the the Panthers uh, yesterday. Good news for the Raiders. They have finally won the game. That means we have no teams that are going to pull off the donut this season. Everybody, well, except for the Texans, but no, the Texans are 0-3-1. They they haven't lost every single game, but nobody's going to go 0-17. And the Raiders you know, were able to use their ground game to take it advantage of a Broncos offense that once again stalled in the second half. And they get off to a, a good start in the first half. You know, Russell Wilson and, and company seemingly uh, clicking on all cylinders. And in the second half, their offense stalls with three consecutive three and outs. And that's bookended by two field goals by the Raiders. Seemingly, the Broncos were trying to chase them down for the entire second half and never able to truly complete uh, the comeback. And I just saw uh, Josh Jacobs continuing to bleed away and choke away that clock yesterday to give the Raiders their first win of the season and had to get it yesterday because they're not getting it next week when they go play uh, the Chiefs in Kansas City on Monday night. And talk about, you know, no, just holding on and grasping to a victory. Now the, the Packers, much like I said with the Eagles yesterday, so far this season for the Packers, it has not been pretty, but they're somehow figuring out a way to get it done, figuring out a way to pull out victory. And yesterday would have been an outright embarrassing loss for them. 
you're going up against the Patriots. I know, you know Bill Belichick seemingly has a game plan for every situation. But they're without Mac Jones. Brian Hoyer, who's, you know, should be holding a clipboard, but can be serviceable in a pinch um, when you need him to, gets knocked out in the first quarter with a potential concussion. Here comes somebody named Bailey Zappi. I'm, I'm not even making it up. That's this kid's real name, Bailey Zappi, a, a fourth-round pick out of Western Kentucky. And he was able to game-manage his way into – keeping uh, the Patriots in this game, even keeping them within position to potentially uh, have a game-winning field goal in overtime. But, you know, after the Patriots had touchdowns on their first two drives of the second half, they stalled out against uh, the Packers' defense. And the Packers are doing things a lot of the same way that the Eagles are doing things winning it with the ground game and defensively. Because Rodgers, you know he's going to get this figured out at some point. But he's still trying to develop some kind of cohesion, some kind of, you know, get on the same page with this relatively new group of wide receivers. Now, it would help if some of them could, you know, do this thing. It's a a strange thing. It's a weird concept. But, you know actually catch the football rather than dropping dimes in the end zone. You know, Rodgers had to be, you know, pulling his slick back hair out yesterday watching some of this. But now you're going to be going from eking out a win against the Patriots to getting on a plane and going across uh, the pond to play the Giants in London, giving up your true home field advantage uh, against a Giants team that, much like yourselves, has been winning games with their ground game and their defense. So they were able to squeak by, able to eke by uh, the Patriots. But I'm interested to see how long it's going to take for Rodgers to get this offense going and uh, what he, he does, how they're going to do against some of the better teams in not just the NFC, but the NFL altogether. Going to take one last break here, come back, close things out with some thoughts on the wins by the Jets and the Giants yesterday. A novel concept, second time this year that's happened. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. There are only a few games left in the regular season of the 2022 MLB season for Aaron Judge to possibly go ahead of Roger Maris in the single season American League and Yankee home run record. He, he was finally able to get this done on Wednesday night at a, on a night when they had most of the team uh, sitting due to them clinching the division the night before, and uh, Anthony Rizzo was the acting manager for that game. But I was glad to see him finally uh, get that done. Took a little bit of a weight off his shoulder, especially because 
Listen, Judge, since the moment he came to the big leagues, has handled everything like a true pro. Has been very Jeter-esque in the way he talks to the media. You can see he thinks things out. Has never been someone that is cocky. Always wanted to make it team first more than me first. But watching him the last two weeks, it's clear ever since he hit home run number 60, that this was wearing on him, that this was getting on him a bit. A, he hasn't had a day off since then. Well, while the Yankees have had like two days off in their schedule, he's played in every single game, even DH'd a few times. But also, he put a lot on himself to try and not just tie, but break this record at home. And the weird part about this is, You watch these games, and it almost felt like the game became secondary. They were stopping it so the umpire could switch the baseballs, make sure it's the right marker in case the ball gets hit out. Um, We know what baseball it was. You have all of the fans at Yankee Stadium standing up, chanting MVP, MVP in between pitches. And then the second the pitcher's ready to throw, the crowd literally goes silent like you're at a tennis matchup. And you, then you get reaction based on the pitch or whatnot. And that this was a different animal than we've ever experienced with someone trying to break a record or set some kind of career milestone. And I'm sure when it's all said and done, when he's honest and truthful about this, after probably get that from after the season, he probably is putting a lot of pressure on himself to get the record at home. Now, it's not going to happen at home. I do think he'll hit a home run over the next couple of days in Texas and set that at 62, but he more than anybody could use and deserves that break once the regular season ends before the Yankees play uh, the division series, which I believe will get started next Tuesday or Wednesday, if I've got the schedule correct. He could use a, a little bit of a mental health day because he's carried this team for most of the season and shown why he is undoubtedly, undisputedly, should be the American League MVP. Yesterday was a very happy day for the football fans in uh, this area. No, not just with the Eagles and the Bills winning uh, their games, but the the two real local teams. When I think of local uh, NFL football, because you no, know, I, I live closer to, much closer to MetLife Stadium than I do to Philadelphia. The team I root for plays at MetLife Stadium in the Jets. And unlike the Bills, the Jets and the Giants, say what you want about them playing in East Rutherford, New Jersey, they are New York City's football teams. Well, both teams came away with victories yesterday to continue what has been surprising starts to their season. And, you know, the Giants defense was very timely with how much pressure they put on Justin Fields uh, yesterday. And their defense 
and their ground game had to carry the way for them in this game due to the fact that I've never seen this, but I've never seen a team lose two quarterbacks, two injuries, and run out of active quarterbacks um, available for them in a game. Yeah, Jones leave in the third quarter with the left ankle injury. Then Tyrod Taylor comes in for him and is able to pick up some of the, the slack. But he leaves early in the fourth with a concussion, forcing them to wrap up Jones's ankle extra tighter and bring him in as essentially a decoy because for the final, what, like seven, eight minutes of that game, they're running the Wildcat offense with Saquon Barkley lined up back behind center. His renaissance this year has been very fun to watch. I, I know I've been someone that has gotten on him a lot because you look at his games and you'll see a lot of where he'll have that one big run for 50 to 55 yards and then the rest of the game it's a yard here, two yards there, uh, a one-yard loss, kind of, you know, not really doing anything unless he gets that wide opening of the parting of the Red Sea at the line of scrimmage. But he has been a him along with this Giants defense, even with some of the injuries that they have dealt with. Now even losing a, a workhorse in uh, Leonard Williams along that defensive line have been the catalyst behind this team. And it's allowed Daniel Jones to, you know, take a, a breath, take a, a sigh of relief and play mistake-free football. You have not seen you only one time in te- the game against Tennessee. Did you really see that big turnover that could have been costly, but no, Brian Dable's got this team believing. Brian Dable has got this team of a belief that, hey, we are can be as good as anybody. We can uh, compete with anybody, even with some of the struggles that they've got at wide receiver right now. The fact that Kadarius Toney has been in and out of the lineup and you have gotten nothing out of Kenny Galladay, who has looked like an atrocious signing. I mean, you look at these guys now with Sterling Shepard out. You're looking at these these uh, guys they got playing wide receiver, and you're like, who? And it's it's really it's unbelievable that we're sitting here a month in, and the Giants are three and one. Now the schedule is going to get tougher, especially it's never easy the trip across the pond to now go play the Green Bay Packers, who. Are, I mean, looking like they got something to prove after struggling against a third-string quarterback of of the New England Patriots uh, yesterday. But hey, don't apologize about wins. Don't apologize about um, winning games in the NFL. You take them and you you, you build it, that up because you don't want to be trying to chase it down late in the game. You'd rather build it up early so then when you go through that little lull, you're still in a relatively decent place when it comes to the standings. And hey, what better way to end the day than talking about my New York Jets? Our New York Jets, who a lot of people had them as dead men walking coming into this season. 
Brady Quinn saying that their season was going to be over by Halloween, Brady Quinn. And here we sit, and the New York Jets are 2-2. Two and two. And it wasn't pretty. It was nothing spectacular. And the Jets are not going to win games spectacular. While they have offensive pieces that I really like, with Elijah Moore, with uh, Garrett Wilson, the two young running backs look really good, especially Brees Hall. And it was really good to see Zach Wilson back out there yesterday because he can do things that Joe Flacco can't. He can scramble around. He can avoid the pass rush. He can throw the ball on the run, even throw the ball out of bounds when the necessary when avoiding a defense. Although he did almost get picked off on one throw out of bounds yesterday. And yes, there were some mistakes uh, in the mix here, but you know, one of them, he didn't read uh, the the coverage and tried to force it down deep uh, to Corey Davis. And the, the second one, quite frankly, Tyler Conklin, I would have pulled him right off the field after this because it bounced right off his chest, right into uh, Minka Fitzpatrick's hands. And he, he went from having a... 171 consecutive passes streak uh, without an interception to throwing two in a five-pass span. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be another heartbreaking loss for the Jets. Uh, this is going to be you know, another Jets being the Jets kind of moment, especially with how befuddled they had uh, the Mitch Trubisky in the first half, forcing Mike Tomlin to go to Kenny Pickens before he, I think he, he thought Kenny Pickens was ready because you know he kept talking about patience with Kenny Pickens, but then got forced into it based on uh, Trubisky struggling in the first half, the crowd chanting for Kenny in the second half. And while he had some moments, provided the team a spark, provided the team a, an energy uh, with his two uh, rushing touchdowns, he c- clearly showed that he was not truly ready for the moment with the interceptions that he had. He had the the deep pass to Whitehead uh, the, that he uh, stole away there from uh, Claypool. Then you get um, Michael Carter's uh, interception that I thought was really a catalyst for the Jets to turn this around because you get that the drive that was finished up by Corey Davis's uh touchdown yesterday and you're like all right the Jets are back within one score you're annoyed that they had blown an early lead you're annoyed about some of the stupid penalties that this team's continuing to make but you get an interception there in your own territory three minutes to go let's see what happens there and they slowly but surely choked away the clock got it to the point where uh, Brees Hall was able to cross the end zone before fumbling with 18 seconds left and put themselves uh, in a great position to win this game. And between, you know, Zach Wilson, yes, he had mistakes, but he wasn't the, his mistakes weren't the biggest problem yesterday. Biggest problem is the fact that this offensive line continues to be a mess. I mean, you had another guy get carted off yesterday in this kid, uh, Max Mitchell, who we didn't even know who he was three weeks ago, but he was, 
doing serviceable work at right tackle. Now, who knows who's going to play right tackle next week if he's unable to come back. You've lost three tackles already this season, forcing you to take uh, Eliza Vera Tucker, for, Tucker from right guard and move him over to left tackle and have the left side of your offensive line truly be the strong side with Tucker at tackle and Tomlinson at uh, guard. But you want to overcome that, overcome the dumb penalties that this team continues to make, whether it be Carl Lawson's roughing the passer penalty to end the first half that gave the Steelers position for a long field goal by Boswell. And then uh, the unnecessary roughness penalty by C.J. Mosley. I See, the penalty by Carl Lawson to me was bang, bang. The the. The Mosley penalty, he's got to know better because you, you've you already got the guy on the ground and you're driving your shoulder into him while he's uh, laying on his stomach. The referees are going to call that each and every single time. You can't s- say that, oh, I was already in the motion um, as he was heading to the ground. No, you started to drive toward him as the guy's already laying o- on the ground there. As a, whether you're a, a rookie, a 10-year vet like um, Mosley is, you've got to know better than that, than to make these dumb, inexcusable mistakes and put this team that is not going to win games in spectacular fashion. They, they're not going to win games like you would in a video game. They're going to have to be grinded out of gritty games where Zach Wilson's stat line is not the most impressive thing in the world. But at the end of the day, you say yourselves, he made the clutch plays when necessary. The ground game um, led the way and the kid continued to learn and not make so many mistakes. And I thought yesterday was a, a really good learning experience for him. His first game back, go, yeah, the Stills were without TJ Watt, but going against a a ferocious defense like the Steelers at home, and the Jets, you know, they did some cool things. They did, you know, the Philly special there earlier in the game, where Barrios threw uh, the touchdown pass to uh, Zach Wilson, gave the team a little life, gave them a little energy, and then the fourth quarter, Zach was able to lead them on a comeback and. Um, be precise and accurate with his throws after what was a questionable, very shaky first three quarters. He came away and you're feeling you know, much better about his future and much better about the Jets' future. I'm not, I'm not saying the Jets are going to win you know, 10, 11 games this year. I, I kind of set the bar at seven or eight wins. But if they play like this, against uh, you know teams that are right along the same level as them why can't they have a you know surprising year where all throughout the year in the fourth quarter they're still in the, in the mix and still in line to potentially win the the game where you're going into the month of December or even in the month of November and you're saying hey we still relatively have a season going here. So don't try to reinvent the wheel here. Don't try to, um, Michael Floor, don't try to be flashy. Don't try to uh, 
the change uh, things up. Stick to this same game plan that won you that game in the second half. Yes, sir. Especially, you don't know who's going to play quarterback for the Dolphins this week. It better not be Tua Tonga Mola if the, the Dolphins have any sense of heart whatsoever. But if you're the Jets, yesterday was a, a good moment. And hopefully, they can start to have these good moments at home at MetLife Stadium rather than making it seem like my season tickets are a waste of time, as they have been the first couple of weeks of the season. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 from Monday, October 3rd, 2022. Everyone, please have a great night. Have a safe, fun, healthy week, whatever you may be doing. And I'll talk to you all again, same time next week. Until then... Peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will you? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.